been staring at this thing for a week now, from opening till closing, and I can't see a goddamn thing! You gotta relax your eyes. Everyone sees this thing except me. But today's my day. I brought a lunch and a soda, and I'm not gonna leave until I see the sailboat everyone keeps talking about. <laughs> Welcome to episode 40 of the Mark and Me podcast. That's right, episode 40. I actually can't believe that I'm already at that milestone of 40 episodes. You know the score by now. I'm your host, Mark, and I'm going to bring you a brand new guest every couple of weeks. And this time round, we're talking TV and film with Ethan Serpley. And I'm absolutely thrilled that he's on the episode because it's been a long time coming. We started exchanging emails a few months ago. And I'm so, so thrilled with the outcome because it's one of my favourite interviews that I've done yet. Yes, so 40 episodes in and the range of guests is getting stronger. It's been a busy, busy few weeks recently. I've been doing a lot of Skip to the M work. I've been doing a lot of guests for Mark and me and a lot of interviews are going on in the background. And it's kind of that thing where you're working all the time, you're sending lots of emails, hoping that these guests come back to you. And suddenly over the last couple of weeks, about 10 of them have all come back to me. And some of the guests that I've dreamed of since I've started podcasting have actually said, yep. And they're all being recorded as we speak. So I'm absolutely thrilled and I can't wait to share them with you. But let's get back into today's episode. So one of my favourite actors in the business, a legend within the Viewerskew universe, Ethan Serpley. I absolutely love him. I loved him in My Name is Ill. One of his performances in American History X stuck with me for years. Absolutely unbelievable. But we love him in stuff like Morats, and I think he's an absolute legend when it comes to acting. He's one of the nicest people and just a really, really good positive attitude to have. And I, I respect him so, so much. What I want to also do just before we get into the interview with him is talk a little bit about the last episode. So I was joined by Dennis from Refused. And what I really love about Mark and Me is that when I do these episodes, people are tuning in, even if they're not into the music or they're not into the actor that comes on the show. And I've seen so many tweets and so many Facebook comments of people that have then gone and bought a Refused album because of the interview or Invasion or something like that. They've actually listened and gone, I'm going to actually spend my time and invest it in listening to this band. And most of you are absolutely loving it. I've seen so many people that have gone out and bought The Shape of Punk to Come. So many people that have grown up listening to Refuse that have missed actually hearing from him. So it's been a while since I've put out a podcast with him on and people are absolutely loving it. So the feedback was unbelievable. And as always, I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen and take the time to actually let me know how much you're enjoying it. Without kind of babbling on too much, I want to get straight into today's episode because as I said at the start, it's one of my favourite interviews that I've done and I'm so eager so so eager to get it out there for you it's took months to happen it's finally happened so let's get to it so here's my interview with me and Ethan Serpley okay Ethan so thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast I really appreciate your time thanks for having me so what I wanted to do is start by asking at what age did you want to become an actor was it very early on in life or was it a bit later on when you were at college or I never went to college I I kind of you know as a kid 
I admired acting and thought acting was fun, but I had no, I had no idea of how one would go about making that a reality. You know, it seemed very uh, distant. It didn't seem possible at all. But um, as I grew up in Los Angeles, I, I knew some actors. So, you know, eventually I realized that it is something that you just work towards doing if that's what you want to do. And I, I began as a teenager. So was there a certain actor you were watching in films and TV that you kind of inspired you, or was it a certain kind of person in your life? I mean, were your parents on Broadway, weren't they? Yeah, but that was that was prior to my birth. Yeah. Um, so I, it wasn't like they were acting while I was alive. What, what we did have was a lot of um, plays in our home that we would read. My mom would read plays to me, and we had... Uh, when I was uh, born in the early part of my life, we had cats named Stanley and Stella from a streetcar named Desire. And, and so there, there, was a, there was some mention of it in my childhood, but it wasn't actually occurring. That's fair enough. So it was the early 90s and you started obviously getting into some big roles. Um, you started out in TV acting, I believe, stuff like Nickelodeon's Sister Sister and Tales from the Crypt. Is that the sort of things that started? The first job I did was Boy Meets World, and um, then soon after that, and while I was doing that, I did uh, Sister Sister and, and Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, that was that was right in the beginning. That's not a bad start for someone that's just trying to make out. I mean, to get into those sort of roles is pretty, it's a pretty good start. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> the first uh, Boy Meets World, I won, wound up doing like more than twenty episodes of that show. So that was, and that was my very first job. So how did you go about kind of, was it an open audition or did you know someone that could kind of get your, your resume across or how did it work out? Um, my friend's mother was a manager and uh, at the time she wasn't even really managing me but she had, she had uh, made headshots for me. She was also, she's also a photographer and, and then she was just kind of like, oh, you know, in w whatever happens where they send out um, notices for auditions, she saw this one and she said, uh, you know, I got you a meeting on this and I, I went and, and that was my first job. One of the first roles, because I'm in my 30s now, I remember watching Morats by Kevin Smith. That's one of my favourite kind of filmmakers in the business right now. And your character of William even though it's not a huge part, it's probably one of the most quotable, iconic characters in the kind of 90s now. Yeah. What was it like auditioning for Kevin? Because obviously that was the first time you met him and kind of came on board the Viewerskew universe. Yeah, um, Kevin was super cool. You know, I went in and I, I actually, the first time I met Kevin, it was Kevin and Scott Mosier and Scott had played this character in Clerks. So I was a little like, why the fuck are they even having people read for this role when that's the guy who played the part? But apparently he was happy to turn it over to me. And it, it, it was uh, was not, you know, I have had some situations certainly over the past 20, almost 25 years where stuff does get drawn out and you have to go back over and over again. But But really it was the the first time I went in and, and read for Kevin and basically the part was mine after that. So you must have been pretty chuffed that you then got to be in stuff like Chase and Amy, which is one of my all time favorite films. 
Yeah, great movie. But then that wasn't just it, was it? Once you became part of the universe, you even got to kind of break away and work on Drawing Flies with Jason Lee? Yeah, all the, you know, it was was kind of uh, one of these things of, like, I think Kevin really liked um, his group of people and and was willing to give anyone a shot at anything they wanted to do. So if, if you wrote a script, I think Kevin would produce your movie and and or help you get financing for it or whatever you needed and um if you're available and want to do it you know they'd they'd find a role for you or you know ask you to do it 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 was so there are a bunch of uh little view askew movies that um you know you, you uh i met um brian johnson on mall rats and then he you know he was he was like part of the crew on mall rats and then a year or two later he's directing a movie in jersey you know it was a really cool situation back then it's quite a nice unit to be involved in because obviously that led to vulgar for you dogma it's like it's a job that then just leads on to even more and you you're kind of part of a family yeah totally so is that the first time you met jason lee when you were in drawing flies no, well, Jason was in Mallrats, and I, I knew him before. I, I he he dated and lived with when I met him a friend's sister, a guy I went to school with. His sister and Jason were dating, and so I met Jason at my buddy's house. You know, when I was like fourteen, and uh, I guess three or four years later we were doing this movie together just surely by coincidence so then a bit later on one of your first major film roles that was a very serious and very different to anything kind of kevin smith comedy related was american history x which is probably one of the most powerful films i've ever seen yeah being that role of seth is kind of the character itself is is a hard being of a human it's not someone that you want to take home to meet your parents was it quite tough to kind of get in that mindset of such a racist and vile person yeah it it was tough and it, it was also um rather tricky too because while i i definitely think that american history x is exposing kind of that subculture of the of the of the 90s in in america which i don't think really exists on the level that it did it 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 was i mean i grew up in los angeles and, and there were there was a presence of skinheads racist skinheads in los angeles when i was a kid um i i don't think you could really find that nowadays they've they've disguised themselves or something but but the point is that so we're making this movie which exposes that um and it's a very fine line to as an actor to present something as realistically as possible without making it a cartoon and now seth happens to be kind of a cartoonish person or or the character of seth was cartoonish but you still have to give it some some life you know if if you're if you're playing a guy like that and you you come at it from a point of disgust well seth doesn't isn't disgusted with himself you know he thinks highly of himself he thinks he's right so it is a very very tricky role to navigate in that sense 
Were you happy when you watched it back? Because I know the director of the film was not happy with a lot of the film and kind of took his name off it at one point. He was so unhappy with the studio interference. Were you happy with the way you portrayed the character? I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm happy with what I did. I do know that while making it, I was happy with the choices I was making it at, at the time of making it. So on that set, obviously, you had some great talent. You had Edward Furlong and Edward Norton. Um, the director, I believe, gave Edward Norton quite a lot of free reign. He could improvise at times. Was that the same for you, or were you very kind of locked in the script of the character? Uh, no, there, were, there was a ton of, of improv. There were, there were days when um, I got to work and would be called to set and have no idea at all what we were doing. And, you know, Tony the director who would also often operate the cameras and um and pull focus at the same time which is truly bizarre he he he, you know he kind of go into a room and it's a room that my character never appears in in the script and he'd say okay go you know and he'd just run the camera and so you just have to figure out something to do while he films you you know there was a, a, a ton of, of, of that kind of stuff happening during that movie. You know that. I was told that that he shot well over a million feet of film, which is a, an astronomical amount of film. I think they shot around a million feet of film making Titanic. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy because obviously the final cut as well, even though we've seen some of these horrific scenes of the curb stomp and stuff like that and some of the, the scenes stay with you for life, you wonder... If he wasn't happy with that cut, what was there that wasn't used that could have been even worse? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. It's mind-blowing. You, I just picked up on something you said. So you said you never watched it back. Is that with all the stuff you do, or is it just specifically American History X? Uh, no, I, I don't I don't tend to like watching um, myself. That's I, something, yeah, I you know, I speak to a lot of actors, and I, I find many now don't watch themselves back and it must be it must be strange because the first thing i'd want to do is like i want to see what i've just done yeah i i i suppose if i was um if i had more control if i ever went into a situation where i was uh where i'd written something or was directing something i may start to watch myself back if i have the ability to um if I someday have the ability to insist on doing it again or, or doing it more, I, I mean, I, I, I will request additional takes if I don't feel good about something I've done. But um, I generally find that uh, watching, watching something once it's completely done being made, for me, I... I, I I can watch certain parts and and uh, to acknowledge um, the other people's work, but watching myself makes me terrifically uncomfortable. It's really interesting to hear that because I suppose it must be hard to then benchmark your performance and know what would be needed to be improved. Well, but the, yeah, but that's the thing. Um, with a performance in a movie... Yeah, once it's done, how can you improve it? It's done. It's you done. It's, yeah, it's finished. Yeah, movie, you know what I mean. 
I've never really seen much more of a, di- a diverse career than yours. When you look at your CV, you've got stuff like American History X, you've got the early comedies, you've then done Road Trip, Fanboys, Mr. Woodcock, but then you went to get to work with one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, Martin Scorsese in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I, it's it's crazy, the range you have. I mean, what was it like working with pretty much the best filmmaker in the business? Yeah, it was a, a total dream come true. That was something, you know, um, my my uh, love for film is, is partially due to the movies he's made and... and um, and then just his his education on film, where he gets into you know French neoclassical filmmaking or or whatever he he will come out and recommend you know some kind of esoteric Japanese mafia movies to watch, and um, I just think I I personally wouldn't have been exposed to much of the things that I love so much today if it wasn't for him. So. And, you know, this is strictly just reading articles um, that he's interviewed in. And so um, getting to actually work with him was was like a dream come true. I, I don't know how you'd even mentally prepare yourself for him to be behind the camera telling you what to do. It must be just like, it must be surreal. It must take a moment to actually register what's going on. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre um, on day one. Bizarre. And then you've got people like Leonardo DiCaprio on set who are just, the world's finest actors it must just be i don't know i don't know how i'd cope <laughs> yeah the, you know <laughs> i mean once you once you get into the groove it's just like any other job but it, certainly a couple of the first days were were like wow this is wild you know is that one of your favorite times of being on set or has there been something that's topped it for you yeah i certainly would count that as one of the highlights for sure it was a total joy to make that movie and be a part of it um you know i I also really loved the experience of making um cold mountain anthony Mangella was like a poet and uh um you know working with tony scott was amazing i've i've I've, uh, you know, working with Ted Demi, I've gotten to work with such great people that I feel very lucky. Going then back into TV, you were very successful. One of your most iconic roles as Randy in My Name is Ill. You were then reunited with Jason Lee again. That must have been so much fun, hanging out with one of your friends, making an iconic TV that was so successful and so iconic. Yeah, that was wild, man. I, um... You know, I, I had the last real um, involvement with TV I'd had was in the um, early-ish 90s doing Boy Meets World. And and that was a situation where, you know, if I wasn't off doing a movie, I could go and do this TV show, but I didn't have to do the TV show. And, and, um, and then I started having kids and... Uh, and, you know, the draw of television and the draw of being in Los Angeles and having a job that would allow me to see my kids every night or occasionally drive them to school rather than having to leave the country for half the year to work was um, very appealing. And and then to find something which was truly revolutionarily weird you know, My Name is Earl was completely unlike anything that had ever been made before. It was one of the 
one of the very first um, single camera comedies. I, I, I don't know if you guys had many of them, but but certainly in America it was one of the first. You know, the the, the only other one that I can um, draw reference from is uh, our version of The Office, but even that was different in that that was being made almost as a documentary. So you had a lot of winks towards the camera. You know, My Name is Earl, they shot basically like these tiny little short films, um, which was basically, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of something else that had done that first. And then to top it off, you, you had um, us playing characters that were, you know, unlike ne- network television, really. You know, in, in, in Roseanne, you had kind of like working class Americans, and, and certainly you can go back and, and, and pick out historically characters like that. But, but you know, we're basically playing criminals. You know, in, in the first, in the pilot episode, I'm, I'm asking a prostitute if she has uh, any sex in her tank left over for me, you know. <laughs> These are these are jokes that um, at the time shouldn't be going over well on primetime television in America. So it was, you know, that was another total dream come true, getting to play that role with people I was already very friendly with and, and getting to meet Greg Garcia and, and all the guys involved in My Name is Earl was, was amazing. I think it's because of My Name is Earl that we've now greenlit and had so much successful TV on stuff like Netflix and Amazon and stuff. I think it's definitely given us the ability to release and kind of break the rules of, yeah, you can be quite wrong in these series. You can be quite dark and get away with it. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it. I think it is good. You then... And this is the most jealous thing I am. You got to be in the new Twin Peaks. Were you a fan of the series when it first came around over sort of 25 years ago? Yes, I was a huge fan. I had um, I had watched it religiously when it first aired. And then I had uh, a box set of videotapes of the series for a long time. So over the years, I had watched it a couple of times. And... Um, and, you know, then eventually there was no use for videotapes because nobody had a VHS player anymore. So, you know, I think I it was a, it was a good long while ago that I stopped watching it every three years. But, um, yeah, I was a fan. So then when the announcement came before you were cast or anything, and, you know, David Lynch is bringing it back. We're going to have a series just as a fan of the show. You must have it must have blown your mind. Yeah, it it was really wild. Um, it, it, the whole thing was um, amazing and as uh, wonderfully bizarre as you'd expect uh, doing something with him would be. You know, I, I got a call one night saying, um, you're wanted for Twin Peaks. And I, and I said, uh, okay, in what capacity? What does that mean? Like, are we talking about um, what, what do you want me to do? And they said, oh, no, you, you just have to say you'll do it or you won't you know, without, without knowing anything. And, and I was basically prepared to do that. However, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, you never know with 
him what he's going to have you do. And I just wanted to make sure, like, I didn't have to have a sex scene or, or be nude or yeah. anything like that. And I said, you know, I want to I want to at least read the material that that I'm expected to perform. And so a guy from uh, David's office came to my house and presented me with pages that only had my lines on them. There was no other, it wasn't like they ripped them out of a script. It was just somebody typed down all the words I have to say. And the guy watched me read these pages and then took them away. Um, truly uh, bizarre, but wonderful. And then doing it was also wonderful. So did it have a character's name on or was it just saying character A and then the lines or was it actually telling you who you're going to be playing? No, no. It was li- there was no character name, there was no description of sets. It was just here are the words that you 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 will say if you decide to do this. Only David Lynch could get away with that, couldn't he? <laughs> I I think so. I don't know how anybody else could could think to get away with that. I had Sherilyn Fenn on the show, and obviously she was one of the most iconic characters back in the day. Now, she didn't even know when she was filming what it was going to be used for. They didn't even tell her on set, this is the context to the scene, or this is how it's going to fit in place with um, Agent Cooper. It was just genuinely turning up, filming those scenes, and extra stuff, and then he would use what they did. Did you, when you turned up to filming, have more footage than you thought would actually make the final cut, or how, how did it kind of work with David? Well, again, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch that that portion of that episode. I watched the new one, but um, when I came on, I kind of ducked out of the room. But no, I think it all wound up on there. It's only really one scene. Yeah. Um, when filming it, I, 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 you know, when I first met him, which was on set, I said to him, Blake, what's the backstory like what's going on here and he he just kind of said no that doesn't matter um this you see your neighbor you see your neighbor and um and then your neighbor's acting strangely and that's really i guess all i had to know for the scene that must be the most unique way of getting into character ever and but not easy (laughs) yeah i mean yeah but uh, you know it's also uh you know, I think kind of nice to not be burdened with a, bu- a bunch of um, extra information that you don't need to have. You know, uh, on uh, uh, for Cold Mountain, when I first arrived, we shot that movie in Romania. When I first arrived uh, in Romania, there were a lot of um, meetings um, with the cast and Anthony, and and he would be showing us images of actual photographs taken um, pre and post civil war in America and, and uh, talking about the different cultures and the music and the food they'd eat. And, and after the first of those meetings, he kind of pulled me aside and he said, I actually don't want you to think about any of this. Um, I don't want you to come to these meetings. I don't want you to be thinking about anything more than, just your kind of world because um i don't think he you know the character i played pangle wasn't wouldn't have been aware of all that stuff so it's you know i thought the first meeting was a lot of fun and i was kind of sad to miss the rest of the meetings but at the same time it it was a 
a good uh, choice to make for me. The thing you mentioned about, obviously, the Twin Peaks script being delivered and then taken away. No, what? no, not the script. Just like just just those just those sheets. Yeah, words. it's quite refreshing because for some reason the world likes to spoil everything on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you you need to go and see a film pretty much on the opening weekend and stay offline if you don't want stuff spoiled for you anymore. Yeah, it was incredible that the biggest revival in probably TV history of Twin Peaks didn't get ruined. You had to tune in each week. And there was no leaked footage of on set. It was, I, I don't know anything else apart from the Cloverfield films right now that can get away with it. Yeah, it's it's astonishing. Yeah, well, he he kept that all um, on lockdown. Nobody was really. I I I feel like at some point I think uh, I, I then did a TV series called uh, Chance, and we had the same. Uh, the set dresser, the, the props guy was the same. And I would talk to him about it and say, like, how would you uh, set up for, you know, how would you know what to get? Because he hadn't even read the script. He said, nobody read the script. I think it was just David Lynch and um, the script supervisor were the only people that had read the entire thing. And it was written like, you know, like one script for 17 episodes. It was like a 300 page thing or 500 page thing. And, um, and the, this props guy said that, you know, for the upcoming week, he would go into an office and be given just the pages that they were shooting the next week. And he would be watched reading them, you know, he'd have to like turn over his phone and I just think it's, I think it's fantastic. I love it. I, I think it's, I just, it's so nice to hear that this actually happens. It's, it's, and people respect it. Yeah. You kind of want to be a part of, of something like this. And, and it is so rare that it's exciting when it happens. So am I correct in thinking that right now you're filming with Motherless Brooklyn by Edward Norton? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing that now in New York. You seem to have this trend of being reunited after many years with your friends and people that you've been quite successful with in the past. Yeah, I guess I do. You know, I'm an affable enough person, so uh, it's not hard to, uh, you know, I don't make a lot of demands. I come in and I, I try to be as professional as possible. And and so I think, um, you know, make friends with people and then see them again eventually. What's it like with him being on the other side of the camera instead of obviously acting alongside you? It's it's great. He, you know, during American History X, he definitely uh, was part of the creative force of that movie. So it's not, um, it's, you know, it is, it is almost exa- exactly 20 or, or a little bit more than 20 years later. But um, it's, it's not... You know he's 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 an incredibly intelligent guy, and um, and he's he's very patient, and and you know he he knows exactly what he wants out of something. So you know we're not we're not rushing along and missing stuff. It's it's a really it's been a really really good experience so far. 
And again, you've got some great people to act alongside, people like Bruce Willis, William Dafoe. The set must be quite a blast at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I unfortunately have no scenes with Willem Dafoe, but uh, I know he's in the movie. Are you now, I I, I might be wrong, but I, I kind of get this feel from talking to you that you, you might want to do what Edward's done and kind of, you're a big film fan. Do you not want to get behind the camera and try that? You know, I actually have been thinking about that more and more lately, and uh, and it's not as uh, abhorrent an idea as it once was. You know, it's a lot more work um, to... I mean, and and when I say a lot more, I mean by some insane factor of, of effort, uh, a lot more work to direct something than it is to act in it. And for a guy like me, who I'm never really the main focus of, of, of a movie, I, I really do have a, a pretty um, simple task in all these things. I... I show up and I I say my words and then I tend to have some days off each week and and you know I think when you when you take on the other role of being the director you have no time off um, certainly during production but then you have to factor in pre-production and post-production and then whatever marketing goes into it so it is a a daunting task but I have been um, thinking of it as a less repulsive idea than I think I once had. That's only going to snowball now. Like, I can hear you already just saying, you know, it's not a repulsive idea. Soon it'll be, I quite like the idea. Then it'll be, I've spoke to Edward about the production and, I've, I've, right. you know, you're seeing it all happen. I, I can see your name being on something in the next few years, if I'm honest. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, then there's the, the difficulty in, um, finding the right material. So I, I say all this, and, and then I think about how Edward has uh, written the script and is directing it and starring in this movie also, and I think like I think my head would fall off if I tried to do anything like that. You were saying, obviously, you wanted to make sure you're around more for your family, uh, especially your children. Um, yeah. How is it at the moment? Are you getting to get that balance right, or are you still kind of struggling? Yeah, well, you know, um, that balance is most easily for me uh, held by doing television, and um, and then the 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 most recent television I did was the show Chance for Hulu, and year one. Um, you know that 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 story exists in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and. So we went up to San Francisco to shoot for seven, eight months, and I, I kind of thought, oh, this well, this is going to be easy. I could practically drive home every night. You know, it's a far drive, but there are flights. It's like a an hour flight. Um, and you know, San Francisco proved to be a lot further away than I'd initially thought. You know, if you get off work on Friday night at six in the morning on Saturday and you have to be back at work on, on Monday at, at 5 a.m. It, it, it's tough to, it's tough to get home. So that was difficult. But then the, the second set of 10 episodes that we shot of that show, we moved to Los Angeles and shot them in Los Angeles, which was good. 
it, it, it is much easier to live kind of a normal life if you're doing a television show in the town that you live in. But at the moment, you're kind of away doing a couple of films, is that right? Yeah, um, which is not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, so it's, it's not bad. It's also uh, just a, a couple of months, and it's New York. Uh, one of my daughters goes to school here, so it's a good chance to spend some time with her. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Um, say I never wanted to do movies again so that I didn't have to leave my home that that would be crazy but um I th- I think uh in in the long term television is is easier but I I really do enjoy making movies too and then moving forward to the future obviously we've just talked about Motherless Brooklyn what else have you kind of got in the pipeline uh, nothing right now. Not thinking about anything beyond this, to be honest with you. And is there any other films that you kind of, or any kind of areas that you kind of want to tick off? You've done comedy, you've done serious roles, you've done drama, you've done TV. Is there something you're kind of missing? No, honestly, there. I I don't feel like there's a gaping hole that um, that I've been pining to fill. Uh, I really enjoyed making the show Chance. I played a, a a character um, that was really unlike anything I'd done before, and so uh, you know I would be interested in in doing more stuff like that. I, I guess in I did a, a part in the movie The Fountain that Darren Aronofsky made, and that was my first uh, brush with playing somebody um, very intelligent. I played a. a a research technician in a laboratory. Um, and so I had to learn a bit about, um, brain surgery actually. And, and I found that to be compelling. And in this show, I, I played a guy who was basically, uh, a tactical expert and very smart and, and very interested in the, uh, philosophies that govern the rules of violence. And, so rather than just being a big tough guy, I was uh, a, a very smart big tough guy, which I really got a kick out of. Um, I don't often play intelligent characters, um, and I, I have enjoyed that. What's been your toughest and your most favorite role that you've ever been in? doesn't matter if it's TV or film. Yeah, t- um, um, toughest, I would say... I guess Chance was the toughest and also one of my favorites. I can't, I really loved playing uh, Randy. I've loved everything I've done for the most part. Um, Tuna and Blow was fun, and, and Pangle and Cold Mountain was fun, and Randy and My Name is Earl and Seth and American. All, all these roles were gratifying. I, I think um, uh, the toughest was probably this character D in the series Chance because the, I guess I, I guess there's always some part of me in the parts I play, some aspect of that role that is just me exaggerated or toned down or whatever. And and for this part of of D and Chance, I, I really had no immediate connection to that character and to to the violence and 
and uh, and that the philosophy of violence. Um, so that that was tough to figure out. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are getting into the industry either by directing a film or going to drama college or just basically wanting to become an actor. Is there any advice that you can give to those people that are kind of trying to make a name for themselves in this huge business? Yeah, I have found for me it really is just a battle of attrition and, um, you know, you have to kind of uh, adjust to... And, and now, look, I say this, and the first professional audition I went on, I, I got the part, and it, and it turned into, you know, 25... I don't know the exact number, but it's above 20 episodes of a television show, which um, is kind of a home run for your first job. Um, but uh, certainly beyond that, there has been a lot of, you know, getting your ideas shot down and, and getting rejected on things you think you're perfect for. And, um, I guess, you you know, if, if it's, if it's what you want to do and it's something that you are going to attempt to do with any seriousness, you have to, uh, be in it for the long haul and, and really prepare yourself to weather these storms. My very final question is, if you weren't an actor and it hadn't have gone as well as it had, what was your plan B? What do you think you would have done? Shit, man. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 have, I have had the, the thought a number of times um, over the years uh, of what, what else could I do. And I don't, I don't really have much of a backup plan uh and i never did you know i i i dropped out of high school when i was uh 15 and was working as an actor at 16 so um you know i wasn't uh giving much of that a thought at that point and i've i've never done anything else so it's a good job it worked out I think I'm really fucked if this goes sideways do you believe that in the future you're going to get to work with Kevin again I heard that unfortunately it got pulled but I saw photos of you signing up to more acts too and another Jay and Silent Bob film yeah I feel confident that um, professionally our paths will cross again you know it's um, I've never said no to Kevin so anything he's ever asked me to do I've, I've, I've happily done um, and he's such a, a pleasure and such a great human being that I, uh, I would jump at the chance to work with him again. That guy scared me. It was not yeah. good. I really did think, fucking hell, not now. Not would the world still need you, dude? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I uh, empathize with that. He scared me too. And uh, you know, for a, a, a big guy like me, I. It's, you know, I've been very interested in health for a long time now, really since I started having kids, um, just because, you know, you want to be around for your kids and, and, and at least see them to maturity. But, uh, um, yeah, it's scary. And, uh, you know, I think we could all do more to be healthy, and I certainly want to take this this time to think about that 
in a maybe more serious light. I've I it's it's easily done, but you kind of looked at it and thought that's a bit of an alarm call for me. I it sounds ridiculous, but I cut down on my junk food. I kind of tried not to be as stressed, and then thought maybe Kevin's going to take a bit of time out, breathe, get himself back on track, and then fucking a week later he's announced three or four podcast shows. He's filming himself in the hospital. I'm like he's never going to fucking stop. Yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah. I appreciate your time today, Ethan. I'll let you go. I know you've probably got a day of filming ahead. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I really, really appreciate your time, man. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for your patience. And, no problem. In, in working this out, and, and thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Ethan. What a great guy he is. So positive. Such hunger for the business. I think he's going to go even further and further. I love his range. When you see the sort of stuff he does in TV and then the film, you never see him doing the same sort of character. He's always challenging himself, and I've got so much respect for that in the acting world. I think he's by far one of my favourite actors out there, especially in the Kevin Smith universe. I absolutely love him in Morats, one of the most iconic characters. And did he ever see the sailboat? Well, we don't know. But anyway... Thank you for listening, everyone. I will be back in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm happy to tease you a little bit and tell you that I'm going to be joined by a music guest. So we're going to delve into that. I will start the hints in about a week's time, and in the meantime, if you're missing the interviews and the podcasts, check out Skip's The End, my other podcast, because we're going to be talking movies, and it's a good chance to fill that gap between Mark and me. I hope you've all enjoyed today's episode. Please keep the support coming on markandme.com. On there, there's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and my email and also my Patreon. If you really enjoy this, there's an opportunity to support me. It's literally, you can do 70p a month up to about £20 a month and depending on what you give, I'll make sure I give back. So there's some mugs, there's going to be some Funkos, there's t-shirts, there's lots and lots of different things that you can get. Thank you for everyone for supporting me and I'll be back in two weeks time and hey, take care. They send my friends away To mansions cold and grey To the far side of town Where the thin men stalk the streets While the signs stay underground Day after day They tell me I can go They tell me I can blow To the far side of town Where it's pointless to be high Cos it's such a long way down So I tell them that I can fly I will scream I will break my arm I will do me harm Here I stand Foot in hand Talking to my wall I'm not quite right at all Am I? Don't set me free I'm as heavy as can be Just my Librium and me And my EST makes three
doesn't lie when the nation hides its organic mines in a cellar, dark and grim. They must be very dim. Die of the die, they take some.